Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining to me today, I have Dr. John Spencer Ellis. Say hello. How's it going? I'm excited. <laughs> Perfect. So, to start us off, can you just tell the audience who you are, what you do, and how you got into this industry? Okay, um, uh, I'm based in Las Vegas and Southern California. I started in the fitness industry back in 92, and uh, I've done literally everything you can do in the fitness industry pretty much. <laughs> I mean, that sounds silly or crazy, but it, it literally from sports conditioning to medicine uh, to um, rehab from massage therapy to educating other fitness professionals, which is what I do a lot of now. Um, uh, speaking, writing, blogging, podcasting, martial arts, uh, mind, body, Eastern philosophy, uh, neuroscience, and like uh, <laughs> I'm a nerd, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, lo- a long time. I've just been at it a very, very long time. So do you currently still train clients or have you kind of stepped away from that now? I don't train clients as a personal trainer anymore. I mean, I, I literally did for a decade. And in some cases, I would work with 12, 14 clients a day, which, as you know, as a trainer is just brutal. Yeah. And, and it's hard to give them 100%. It just is. Um, so it's been quite some time. So now I have professional associations which educate health, fitness, wellness, and coaching professionals and do business development for them. Nice. So you said you had a like I could probably list all your freaking certifications that I read on your website. <laughs> but what of interests me is that you kind of dabbled in naturopathic medicine, and I was kind of wanting to get your opinion about it. If you see any kind of value to it for you know a regular person, like kind of what's your whole thought press? Yeah, well, I'll kind of give you the the background of how it all came about. So um, when I first got out of high school. I went to a community college <clears throat> two year and I got my general ed stuff. And then I went to school for radiology and uh, medical assisting. And then I did that and I worked in rehab and chiropractic and uh, multidisciplinary practices, pediatrics, all kinds of stuff, urgent care. Um, and then I went back and studied somatic studies, body work and things like that. Then I went to another community college. This is like the fourth or fifth school and Jeez. did, and did, um, a fitness specialist program. And then, uh, about 15 years later after that, I went back and, and delivered the commencement speech, which was a huge honor. That was so cool. Wow. Um, and then, um, I took a short break and then I went back and got a bachelor's in business and then an MBA in marketing. And then I went back and got another bachelor's degree in health science and then I got a doctorate in education, and then I took another break, and then I started another doctoral degree in naturopathic healthcare, health education, really. So the difference between naturopathic health education and naturopathic medicine. So I wanted to differentiate that. So that's kind of the, the route it took. And I did a whole bunch of fitness and health and nutrition specialty certifications along the way as well, probably 20 or more. I, I actually can't even remember them all. Um, but let me tell you, that doesn't make me an expert because there's a lot of people who know a lot more than I do in each of those areas. Uh, but what it does help me do is become very well-rounded and be able to walk in and have a conversation with people and not sound like a total knucklehead. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, that sounds like you had a lot of time on your hands. That's like that's that's amazing. It's a, in, in, you know, it's what I told someone the other day too. It's nice not to be dumb. Yeah. Uh, but if I but if I could do it all over again, I probably would have done about half of that formal education and done a lot more informal education and traveled more and read more books and go to conferences and uh, find a mentor earlier on. I, I I mean, it's great to have the skills, but. You, know, you can, informal learning um, has a lot of merit as well. So, what do you kind of think of our, like, at least in the states, the medical system with just regular doctors? Do you feel uh, like they should be kind of hmm. progressing a little bit more, or are they kind of stuck in the past of what they do now? It depends on the age of the doctor. Okay. Older older doctors are more rigid. Mm-hmm. You know, like an old orthopedist hates chiropractic, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and that's so silly because, you know, a chiropractor is not trying to cure brain cancer and, and neither should an orthopedist. Um, but chiropractic can be an incredible uh, aspect of your, your overall health care. Me as an athlete for in multiple disciplines for, you know, 20 plus years, if I didn't have a chiropractor, I'd be a mess. I mean, I, you know, it just has helped me so much and I know the validity of it. I mean, I, I mean, you're in pain and you're crooked and you're jacked up and you walked out and you feel tall and you're pain free. I'm thinking something worked, you yeah. know, I, I didn't, I didn't take the blue pill or the red pill. Something happened, you know? So, um, I think there's a lot of merit for that, but or to that, but a lot of uh, traditional medicine, it's just like the, think of it like this from a psychological perspective of the traditional medical practitioner. For them to acknowledge that something complementary like naturopathic, homeopathic, chiropractic, uh, energy medicine or whatever it is, <clears throat> and there's different degrees of validity to all that stuff. I get it. I understand. Sometimes you need double blind randomized studies to discover validity and sometimes you don't. Sometimes the human experience can be enough. But if they, if they acknowledge something like that works, they would first have to acknowledge that what they went to school for for 8 to 12 years and are $100,000 in student debt doesn't work or might be wrong or is incomplete. And that causes an uncomfortable feeling for them and may even have them experience what's called cognitive dissonance, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and so they have to think, wow, you know what? What I've learned in school might be inadequate, and now I have $120,000 in student debt at 6% interest, and I'm screwed. Yeah. And so they first have to get past that cognitive bias. Um, but are there good chiropractors and bad ones? Of course. You know, There's good surgeons and bad surgeons. Some surgeons have left sponges and instruments and sewn them up inside of patients, and they die from you know, infection. Mm -hmm. you know, so, so that happens too. Um, I forget what the the amount is of people that die from, um, uh, you know, infection in a hospital or malpractice during surgery or heck, they even have the wrong arm or leg amputated. Jeez. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so of course it's I'm giving examples just to show how silly it is to think that one thing is always right and the other one thing is always wrong. Yeah. I think integrative care integrative medicine is the way to go. And that is that, like, let's just say that someone has cancer. It's horrible, but let's just say that someone has cancer. Uh, at least in the United States, we have what's called the, how is it called? The Cancer Treatment Center. It's in, and there's one in Arizona, mm -hmm. but they, they literally have meditation, yoga, acupuncture, naturopathy, spiritual counseling, medical physicians, nurses, and a fitness instructor and physical therapy. That's your care. 
That's awesome. That's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. And then, you know, you don't take this herb if you're taking this medicine because what it might dilute it, it might counteract it, it might intensify it. You don't know. So all these things need to work synergistically together. But what happens is that people want to be and feel a need to be right rather than doing what ultimately is right. Uh, because and also the other thing is everyone wants to make their Mercedes payment. You know, it's, it's sometimes, honestly, it's that simple. Well, if I, if I refer them there, then boy, you know, I can't go on that big golf vacation and, yeah. and that's sad, but there is some truth to that. There is uh, one of the most horrific and yet awesome things I ever saw was when I worked doing radiology in a multidisciplinary medical practice and see the song and dance that the pharmaceutical reps would do to get in past the gatekeeper, which is the front office manager to get to the back office manager and then to the physician and literally chase them in the patient room trying to pitch them on the next heart medicine, <laughs> which probably had more side effects than it did benefits. And it's, I mean, it's, it's big bucks. You know the difference, what's interesting? So you're in Canada, I'm in the States. Yeah. In Canada, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's my understanding that at least a few years ago in Canada, they can't advertise pharmaceuticals on TV like in commercials. Um, don't think so anymore. Yeah. Okay. So in the States, my gosh, every third commercial, you'd think that <laughs> you're falling apart because and make sure you ask your doctor about blah, 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 blah. You know, and the side effects are, uh, you might only see the color, uh, purple. Uh, you might grow a horn. Uh, yeah. you will walk on all four legs and you'll speak in tongues, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's just after your first dose. So, but they, they, I mean, literally that they have to do a one minute commercial, 20 seconds is someone, you know, someone walking through a field of daisies because they can't really show what's happening <laughs> to your body. Yeah. And then the, and the remainder of the commercial is a disclaimer for all the side effects because through the clinical trials, it's insane. Yeah. But, but ask your doctor about it, you know, next time you go in and then the doctor goes, oh yeah, that drug rep did promise me that golf vacation if I got, you know, and literally the, it's, I mean, it's so screwed up and, and that's really the way it works. So there's major consumer influence uh, as to what pharmaceuticals are ultimately prescribed because of advertising influence and because of the patient's influence and request to the doctors. And I'm sure the doctor supersedes their own best advice in the name of the dollar bill sometimes. I think it happens. Um, but that happens in, in all industries. It's just that we're talking about our health, you know, so yeah. it's, it's, it's more detrimental. If you screw up, you're done. Right. Um, but, but as far as I call it integrative care, some people call it holistic medicine. Some people call it alternative medicine <clears throat> and that there, and each of those is unique, but integrative care is best. So like as an example, so I do martial arts and I, um, I was doing wrestling and jujitsu and, uh, I jacked up my neck and I have a ruptured disc at uh, level C four between C four and C five. And I have what's called uh, radiculopathy referred pain and numbness and tingling down my arms, primarily on the left side. Now, if I go to a medical doctor, they're going to say, probably don't exercise, try some physical therapy and, um, come back slow or don't stop doing that. The reality is I'm an athlete. I'm not going to stop. That's the truth. Okay. So, so Western medicine, unless they're going to do surgery, which is not warranted, uh, there's really nothing they can do. So, um, what I did is I went to my chiropractor and got a chiropractic adjustment 
he's also an athletic trainer and a kinesiologist. So he's doing different testing and, and movement. He also does active release technique, which if, if you guys have ever had any musculoskeletal disorders I, and, and you can withstand some, some <laughs> pressure and a little pain during the process, but wow, what an incredible result. ART active release technique or therapy. Incredible. You can search for a practitioner in your area. I am not one, so it's not, uh, it's not a, um, a promo for anything I'm doing. I just think it's incredible. And then I, I went to an acupuncturist as well. And then I did ice and, uh, and, and then I did, uh, Arnica and bromelain. Arnica is from the root of a plant called Arnica Montana. And bromelain is a derivative of pineapple extract. And, uh, it's used for inflammation and swelling. And I'll use that orally, sublingually, and topically. And then I'll do a little of the therapeutic ultrasound, uh, like physical therapists would do. Yeah. And I, it's 80% better. And, and literally like 10 days. That's awesome. Rather than slicing and dicing and, you know, having any, an enormous healing process and recover, recovery period. So is there a time for that? Yes. Now, if I got really jacked up and I, and I did the same thing in a car accident and my airbag didn't deploy and I smacked my head, now my neck hurts. I need to see a neurologist. I need to see an orthopedist. I probably need to have um, some cognitive uh, testing done to make sure I didn't jack up, you know, <laughs> neurologically at a, at, you know, at a more seriously serious level. Um, but that wasn't the case. So it, it everything has its place. And what's important is that the consumer, the human, uh, gets informed and understands their body enough and investigates enough to understand how these different practices and practitioners can work together in harmony rather than yelling at each other and saying the other person is wrong. Yeah, like it kind of blows my mind when I have a client who's not kind of sold on, say, physiotherapy if they hurt their shoulder, for example, and mm. they tell me, oh, I'm going to go to my doctor and see what he says, uh. and they come back and say, oh, I can't work out for six to eight weeks. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, what do you mean by that? He's like, well, I'm not allowed to use my shoulder. I'm like, so that's how he fixed you, hey? <laughs> right? It's like, that okay. makes it worse. It makes it worse because yeah. then it gets fixate. Here's the thing, and this is what's important for your, for your listeners to understand. What happens is it becomes fixated. Certain things are elongated. Certain things are shortened. Certain things are inflamed. And what happens is your body learns a new path of motion, which creates the least resistance to get from one position to another. That path of motion is likely not the optimal path, but it becomes the new one. Yeah. And then over time you start to compensate and you're limping. And that's why you see people that never get fixed. And then when they're older, they're jacked up and they're crooked and they twist and their foot's turned out and their knee buckles in and they, their shoes wear funny. All that stuff, literally not all of it, 95% of it is preventable and fixable and reversible and can be diminished and improved. It's not difficult, but most people listen to their primary care physician who doesn't know their good intention, but not completely informed. Most things um, can be fixed. And that type of thing is called corrective exercise. So there's, there's pre, just to, to give kind of a, a background. So there's prehab. That's where you would do exercises and mobility and stuff like that before you have a surgery to help the surgery work better. Then you have um, rehabilitation. Uh, and then uh, sometimes they, they would call it rehab exercise or exercise therapy. But then there's corrective exercise where 
your body just moves in the incorrect path and pattern because of repetitive use that is usually non-symmetrical. Um, and, um, maybe it moves in multiple planes of motion repetitively over time, non-symmetrically like a golf swing or someone who always does, uh, or like someone who digs a ditch, uh, over time, or maybe you, you don't, you're not very ergonomic in your desk setup and your arm gets jacked up and you're tingly because of your mouse and you have monitors that are too high or too low or whatever, then, then that's, that's actually workplace ergonomics. They should have an ergonomics expert come in and optimize their position for optimal work efficiency as well. So that's more of, that's like work biomechanics. So you can see all these different subspecialties that all need to work together, but people don't know. They don't know they're busy or they don't care until their body's so jacked up. And then they say, you know what? I'm too old to do that anymore. That's not true. This is funny too. People say, um, wait, I'm trying to think of the way, the best way to say it. Cause it's, it's hysterical. People say, Oh, my left knee is jacked up. It must be old age. Yeah. So your left knee, huh? Well, well, crap. How old is your right knee? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there, wait a minute. You're telling me that your left knee is older than your right knee? That is, if anyone ever says that, they mean well and they're wrong. It can't be just one knee or one elbow or one whatever and be old age. Because you don't age non-symmetrically. It doesn't work that way. No. So if it's, if it's unilateral, one-sided, asymmetrical, that is from an injury and a repetitive task and non-symmetrical use. Think about like uh, people who are boxers. You always have one foot forward. You're going to jab more with one hand. Uh, soccer players who might play left or right wing. And they're going to kick more so with that right or left because they're 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 centering the ball, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going to have that repetitive motion. What about a, a punter uh, in uh, football? Uh, there's there's everyone has repetitive tasks. I know of cases where um, before the modern trucking made it easier, but like in the old school trucking, you know, in the '60s, '70s, and '80s, uh, I had a family friend. His leg that he clutched with. Mm-hmm was two inches bigger around and stronger than the other one, even though it was, you know, by birth, his non-dominant side, because that was his only exercise is clutching a big 18 wheeler. Jeez. Uh, and, and think about that. Think about how much screwed up his body was. He had that job for 25 years and he only pushed out with one leg while in a seated position while probably screwing up his back at the same time. Yeah, definitely. It's, this is not a mystery. You guys, none of this is a mystery. The only problem is lack of awareness. So you do everything in your life as symmetrical as possible. Brush your teeth with the opposite hand. Open the door with the opposite hand. Um, try cooking with the other hand. Uh, try writing with the other hand. Switch the mouse to the other hand, just even for, for an hour a day. Um, you notice that a, a lot of world-class golfers will take a lot of practice swings standing in the opposite stance because they're trying to create symmetry because they're getting this – multi-dimensional, multi-axial, you know, ballistic motion on one side. And then pretty soon they walk with one shoulder and hip forward because they've always driven forward like that for the swing. Do you uh, think that sometimes asymmetries might be a good thing? Um, Well, this is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In general, no, Uh, because – 
from a I don't know if it's evolutionary biology. It's a from from an embryological perspective. That's a fancy word. Yeah. From, from, from an embryology. I actually I have a friend who's an embryologist. We have some awesome discussions. Um, people who have and this is just hear me out when I say this because it's kind of a weird thing. People people who are considered more beautiful have a more symmetrical face. Mm-hmm. The reason that there is more symmetry is that during the gestation period, during cellular division, there are fewer errors. And if there are fewer errors during cellular division, there is more symmetry from left to right. That's that, that symmetry creates more beauty and there's more cellular unity and less damage during cellular division. Now, does that carry on to other things in life? Maybe, you know, could, could make you more susceptible to different disease processes. I don't know. Then you have to talk to evolutionary biologists and uh, oncologists probably, right? Mm-hmm. But as far as from a structural perspective, you want to be as balanced as possible um, because you will either be compensating or being held back from, from uh, because of the um, discrepancies. Okay. Does that I, make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that stuff, does. Right? Pretty deep. Uh, like I was going to say, because I remember going to a conference and there was a physiotherapist for a professional baseball team. And mm-hmm. during their first year, they were working with the pitcher and they noticed that the pitcher didn't have full elbow extension on its throwing arm. Mm. So the physio was like, OK, well, we got to make that symmetrical to your other elbow and give you another, I think, like 10 degrees of extension. And when they fixed the guy's elbow to go to full extension that season, he actually had his worst pitching season in his career. And then they came up with the thought with maybe with like high end professional athletes, maybe if they are like asymmetrical on both sides, maybe you should just keep them that way because that's how, you know, they've been throwing for their whole life. And that's what made them perfect and good in the first place. But well, I, I, I think it's a matter of how fast the change takes place and how much practice is allowed for adaptation. Mm-hmm. If it happens very quickly, then they have to do it. It's kind of like a singer who doesn't like to get their nose or their teeth fixed. Cause they think it's going to change their sound. Okay. So I think it's the same thing. Um, if you, if you had braces and you moved your teeth slowly, your, your voice would probably learn to adapt. Uh, but if you had, you know, quite a large nose and you had major rhinoplasty, your voice is likely to change because you didn't have time to adapt the sound. And also it's just going to resonate differently, but it's, but with, with, and this is kind of getting esoteric here, but, but basically we have to adapt slowly, but we also have to have a lot of practice during the adaptation time so we can create new neural pathways or enhance the ones that exist. Okay. So I guess he kind of just jumped into his new range of motion too quickly. Because that's Possibly. the one thing yeah. that the physio didn't really say was what the time frame was, right? right? Right. So if it was like over maybe a span of like three years and like every year you get two degrees, you could probably, you know, figure that out pretty quickly compared mm-hmm. to like, oh, in four months I have full extension and you don't even know how to power, like generate power from that position. Interesting, huh? Yeah, it was just kind of like food for thought because I've never heard that before. And like there's a lot of other people that say like, you know, asymmetries are fine because, you know, your liver is not dead center in your body. Like, 
one lung is bigger than the other a little bit. Your heart's well. That's true. That's true. But that's that is your. Those are your organs, not not your skeletal structure. Your skeletal structure, which surrounds those things, still should be symmetrical and is before asymmetries take place because of behaviors and rituals. Yeah, definitely. Especially nowadays when people sit at their desks for like eight to 12 hours every single day and then they wonder why they have low back pain. Oh yeah. We weren't meant to sit like that. No, not, not for that duration. And most people have poor chairs as well. Yeah. Hunched over looking at a small little screen. Not good. No. Uh, going back to that whole like doctor discussion, I was going to mention, um, there's one clinic here in Vancouver. I can't remember the name, but I had a client who went there for back pain and he was saying that the model was interesting because the moment you go in, they do like a full assessment of your like whole being essentially. And then based on your result, they'll go, all right, go through door one. That's your psychologist. Go to Mm. door two. That's your Cairo. Go to door three. That's your fitness trainer. And, uh, that's how they kind of figure out what's going on with you and the best approach to fix you. And like, if you even wanted to get an MRI done, you could get it done that day. Interesting. Yeah, but it's like a pretty hefty price tag of a membership per month. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which is cool. Like, I would love to see that more because I also work with a naturopathic doctor here uh, in my area. And what he does is he tries to, with every patient he gets, he tries to email or contact their regular doctor to see if they could actually work together to help this person. I asked him, like, so how successful are you? He's like, I've gotten three so far. (laughs) (laughs) It's tough, right? Like, there's such a divide between naturopathic doctors and regular doctors. And then you're like, you guys should just work together. Well, they just, they went to two completely different schools. It's like when uh, an orthopedist says chiropractic doesn't work. I said, did you go to chiropractic college? No. Well, they didn't go to orthopedic college either. Yeah. So it's it's okay. You know, it's like it's kind of like with with fitness instructors. um, If if one teaches yoga and the other one teaches Pilates, fundamentally, there's some similarities. The the pelvis is held much differently in Pilates, but it's about mind body. It's about movement. It's about mobility. It's about poise and posture. And it's a lot about breath work and cueing the techniques as the instructor. There's a lot of carryover. But if you don't train a Pilates instructor in yoga, you're going to have a horrible class. And the same is true if you switch it around. Oh, definitely. That's just the way, that's just the way it is. And I know I think it's just kind of the way things work now, especially with social media. Everyone is trying to belittle and berate the other person without understanding them. And then they start telling everyone they're a guru in their uh, profession and their own. Well, you know what? Here's the thing: if 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 you have to put the word "guru" in your LinkedIn profile, you are not a guru. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it should be known that you are. You don't. You don't have to put that you are. That's funny. Yeah, people should just like you should be at a point of your career where people refer to you as a guru and you just are too busy to even take new people on. Uh, Absolutely. I was going to say for the next question, I kind of wanted to shift it to more of kind of like the weight loss um, Mm kind of topic. And my thing right now is like over the years of training clients, you'll always have, you know, the clients that, you know, you tell them one thing, they'll eat it right up and they're ready for something new next week. And then you always have like 
I'd say majority of the clients that kind of just go through the motions, they, you know, they know they need to exercise, but they don't really want to be there. And it might take years before it actually like clicks into their brain that, okay, now I'm ready. I'm going to do everything that this person's told me. Where do you think people fall short? Like, is it a mind block thing? Is it just that they're under- just with, with managing their weight through proper dieting habits? Yeah. And exercise and making like fitness a priority for them. Like, why do you think people kind of fall off and on constantly throughout the year? Honestly, I think it's really easy. They, it, they make it what they do rather than who they are. Because if, if it's something you do, you can start and stop anything because it's just something you do. Hey, I used to do that. Yeah, I, I tried that and I did that. And now I'm going to do that again. And then Bob does that. So because it's not part of who you are, it's not part of your identity. But if your identity is I am a healthy person, I am a smart person. I am, I am a person who values my health. I am a person who enjoys being physically fit. I'm a person who enjoys having movement. I am a person who values every day of my life. Then it becomes who you are. And you can't get rid of who you are because it's who you are. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> so true. If, you, if, you, if you become a person and identify yourself as someone who is healthy – who does have these uh, rituals and behaviors. And because it's part of your DNA, it's part of your makeup, it's how you express the cells in your body, then you can't, I mean, you can, you can modify it, but you have to make a declaration of you are no longer that person, right? Rather than um, do, if you, if you just say, yeah, I, I, I have a gym membership, then you can cancel your gym membership. But if, you're, if you say, I am someone who exercises daily. I am. I am this. I am that. It becomes who you are. It is you. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that definitely. And then, and then it just—it's just it can't, you can't not do it. You have to do it. No, I really like that. Actually, that's good. Because okay. like, <laughs> I find like a regular person, like the kind of going off of what you just said. They're always constantly looking for the next thing to lose weight. And like, you know, I could tell my clients like from the morning until night that, you know, you don't need to do a crash diet. You don't need to do this cleanse. You don't need to do like put your body through such torture. You can Mm. actually just eat vegetables and protein every day for like the next year and have few cheats here and there and you'll get to where you want to be. But it just kind of like surprises me that people rather do something more painful to get the result that they want. You know, I, I, I consistency over time yeah. is, is what works. I mean, like today I'm going to work out probably 60, 70%, nothing crazy. Um, yesterday was even a little lighter than that, but Monday and Tuesday were really tough days. And then tomorrow I'm going to hit it a little harder again. And, uh, and two days ago I went to the chiropractor and got a two hour massage <laughs> and, and yeah, I know, but that's part of my health maintenance because I'm a healthy person and I value my health. It's not what you do. It's who you are. Yeah. I think it's also tough in our day and age with like social media where every day you see, you know, fit and shredded people on Instagram and you feel like, Oh, I'm, I'm so bad. I'm not at that level yet. And I need to do something drastic to get there. Well, um, what the problem is that you're comparing yourself to someone else. Yeah. You're, 
you're the only one you have to compete against. You just have to be a little better than you were the day before. Yeah, definitely. That's all. I mean, it's, it's really people overcomplicate this stuff. I mean, they really do. They make themselves nuts. Just be a little better than you were the day before and don't get down on yourself if you screwed up a little bit. Just do a little catch up and you're good. Get back on track and go. That's it. It's not, not nothing. Nothing is a mystery. It's yeah. pretty damn easy. Yeah, like when I have clients that are starting to like self-doubt themselves, I'm like, okay, well, let's look at this past year. What have you done differently for your health? You started going to the gym. You've never done that in your entire life. That's huge. Like I kind of tell them you need to celebrate the small victories that you don't even think about. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Well, and and, um, and I know this sounds silly, and we've gone all over the map here with this conversation, but it's been good. Um, I, I, and this, I, this goes for everything in life is that everyone I know in life that's successful in sports and their faith and their family and their health and their money and their business and their uh, world experiences and all that, you know, it's like, if you take all that, that's a holistic approach to life. And I, and, and I, I have not found an exception and I hang out with and study the most successful people in the world in each of the major disciplines that you would categorize in life. I don't, I'm fortunate enough to call them my friends and my mentors. And they all do two things that are really, really simple and cost nothing. Okay, here it is. Number one, have a morning ritual for success. Have a morning ritual. It can be meditate, read, um, do a couple yoga postures. Uh, It can be uh, 10 minutes with your family pet. It can be going for a contemplative walk. It can be listening to meditative music. Uh, it can be singing, um, whatever gets you a buzz and gets you moving and inspired for the day. And then, uh, and make it, and you can combine any of those things as well. So have a morning ritual and do it before you do anything else. And, and, you know, everyone's guilty of goofing up on this and I am as well. So don't, don't log in and check your text and your messages and your email and social media and all that stuff. Just pause and do, do the success ritual first. And, and I'm, I'm saying this because I'm reminding myself that I need to improve this myself. Okay. So I'm, I'm far from perfect on it, but I know that I need to improve it. So I'm saying it to you as I'm reminding myself to, Hey, you need to do this as well. Um, the other thing is that they all have a gratitude practice and that can be part of the morning ritual as well. All the things that they're grateful for. And then you journal the gratitude as part of your morning ritual, generally you want to do it in the morning just because it like, it's kind of like anything. You start off on the right foot, right? You want to start something off really, really positively. And those are the simple habits of every successful person I know that is an athlete, an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, um, uh, sports star, uh, world-class athlete, um, leader, you know, uh, maven. They all do the same damn thing. It's undeniable. I'm like, well, okay, well, they can't. If it was stupid and it didn't work, all the world's top performers and everything wouldn't do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, go, they go, after a while, they go, no, nah, dude, this is stupid. I'm not going <laughs> to do it anymore. This isn't working. So obviously, they're, they're yielding some results from it. So um, I've been focusing on this as well and working towards that. It's not perfect. And the other thing, too, is um, meditation. Uh, and there's a lot of different ways to meditate. Some For some people, it's spiritual, and some, for some people, it's not. Um, but what I can tell you is that as part of these rituals and practices, meditation is also a huge, huge component of it. And there are literally 
thousands of clinical studies showing the efficacy and the benefit of meditation, in, including uh, reducing anxiety, fears, uh, phobias, improving blood circulation, uh, 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 helping regulate blood sugar levels, um, healing from cancer, uh, getting past traumatic events, um, preparing for sports performance, um, clarity before you give a presentation. I mean, literally, it's endless. It is endless. And so you just have to find a type of meditation that works for you uh, and how you think and what you believe and how you want to do it and 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 do it. Uh, it's awesome. So what kind of types of meditation are there out in the world? Oh, gosh. You know, the one that's probably most known is TM, Transcendental Meditation. Uh, that's, you know, probably gained popularity, I think, uh, was it George Harrison with the Beatles that made it popular? But, um, I haven't done that type. Um, I prefer more breathing exercises with my meditation. And I learned a lot of that when, with my first martial art before I did MMA stuff, uh, is, uh, it with Kung Fu and I learned Qigong and, and Tai Chi and meditation from these masters from the Shaolin temple. So that was pretty cool. Sweet. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. That was so awesome, cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean that, that kind of stuff is life changing. It's just, it's so cool. Um, but I don't, I don't know how to do TM I, and, but you, there's lots of places you can, you can learn it, but, and then there's also walking and what's called moving meditation, like, uh, going for a contemplative walk, uh, just make sure, make sure you're in a safe spot and don't have your headphones on if, if you need to be aware of what's going on. Um, and then there's like a labyrinth, you know, you can walk in a labyrinth, mm-hmm. uh, and do contemplative, uh, thinking and doing that sort of stuff as well. Um, there's, and and some of it probably sounds silly and hokey to people that aren't familiar with that. I get it. I totally get it. It sounds a little woo woo, nutty, crunchy. I get it. Um, all I can tell you is that the world's top performers do this. They can't all be stupid or they wouldn't be the world's top performers. Yeah. You just have to do what works right for you. I can't say, Hey, do it like this. That's not cool. I would never try to impose that on anyone. I'm saying find what works for you with your goals, beliefs, ambitions, value systems, support system, and availability of time. And do the meditation with the gratitude and the morning ritual. And that might all be combined into one thing, and you take a half hour in the morning and do that. What the One of the most important things I learned about meditation is don't be critical of your meditation. Don't finish and go, God, that sucked. I didn't. I, I really was. I really wasn't very relaxed or I, I kept coming out of this relaxation state. I'm, I'm being judgmental about, you know, the whole point of it is to not be judgmental and you're being judgmental about the time. You shouldn't be judgmental about something that doesn't really matter. You know, <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. So don't judge the meditation, just allow it to happen. And if you come out of, you know, a relaxed state, then drift back in. It's no big deal. Yeah, meditation's been kind of popping up a lot, but at the same time, there's so many people out there that, yeah, like you said, they think it's hokey, but they're the same people that won't even try it at least once, and they already have this yeah. huge bias against it. Right. I, I just don't have time for people well, like that. Well, but the thing is, those kind of people, and I'm generalizing, okay, you guys, I'm generalizing, but anyone who says, oh, that's stupid, or that doesn't work, or that's only for them, or anything like that, those people fail in life. They fail because they're naysayers, fun suckers, battery drainers, energy vampires, generally negative people. And you want to run from them. They're horrible. 
they're horrible to your well-being. And and sometimes you can't fix them. They're screwed up. And you just got to you got to run in the other direction. It's like a poison. Um, and I feel bad for them because they're going to wallow in mediocrity or misery their entire life. Yeah, it's like but they you, almost have like no self-awareness of what they're doing to others. No, no. And that's kind of a big like topic now in this year is like being self-aware of what you're doing. And if you can actually see what you're doing, you can actually achieve a lot. But people kind of almost put themselves in this small little cave where they feel like if I go out and try something new, it's going to be the worst thing ever for me. Well, but th- we here's the other thing, too, <clears throat> that we're talking about a lot of cool stuff here. So <laughs> we, we, we are the sum of our experiences. We actually, we are the, we, we, let me, let me rephrase. We are the residual effect. We are the residual outcome of our peak experiences. We are the residual outcome of our peak experiences. Because if you think about it, who we are is, this isn't who we are. This is who we were. You're not who you are because of today. You are who you are because of your collective peak experiences throughout your life. That's what shaped you and who you are. We live in a, a world of residual effect, right? Mm-hmm. So you're like tomorrow you're going to be a better version of you than you are today because of the experiences you had today. And that's why you need to have as many peak experiences as possible because it adds to the collective vault of you. And that's why you, you have to be around positive, encouraging, forward-thinking, kind, generous, cool health conscious people, uh, rather than fun sucking naysayers who think that the world is ending no matter what. And, and they're pissed off at you and the world and themselves, and they can't get past the past. (laughs) So we are a residual outcome of our past thoughts, behaviors, and actions and peak experiences. We live in a residual world. So in a year from now, Who are you going to become? It will depend on what you do in the next 365 days. That is the new you. And it keeps, it's like your, your, your dad, your, your software keeps getting updated, but a lot of people, you know, like, you know how on your computer it says, do you want to update your operating system? There's a, there's, there's downloads available so you can update your software, right? Yeah. And then you have a button that says, Turn off automatic updates, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Computer. Some people do that in their life by not having good experiences and not being around good people and not taking care of themselves. And they turn off those updates. And what happens? Your computer is a piece of crap and it doesn't work. And the yeah. wheels spin and the, uh, the little uh, uh, timer thing is stuck, right? So you have to update with new experiences to get a new residual effect in the future, which will become your current reality in time. And that's pretty deep, but does, does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Like, I find it so interesting that people will kind of stay where they are. They never kind of want to progress. Like, an example would be, like, you're in a bad relationship. You know it's bad. It's not going anywhere. But for some reason, you're still staying with this person. Well, yes. And part of the reason people do that is because of what their normal is mm-hmm. or what it was if they didn't update their operating system because oftentimes when people grew up in conflict 
that is that that's how they feel comfortable. Like I'm sure everyone's been in a relationship with someone at some point where they thrive in some sense of chaos, some level of chaos. And you're thinking, man, this is not cool. And this is dragging me down. And, and, but they love it. it, but it's because it's their normal because when, when they were developing as a person, as, as, you know, pre-adolescent, adolescent, post-pubescent, but that throughout that, that really critical period, um, they probably had chaos. And so chaos feels good to them because it feels normal. It's, it's something that they are familiar with. But if you're not familiar with it, you're thinking, man, this person's crazy. <laughs> right? And, I, yeah, and yeah. they're bringing me down. I can't do it. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, the other one I was going to say is um, I think Gary Vaynerchuk said that in your inner circle that you like see day to day and have mm-hmm. around you all the time, you almost have to audit your inner circle to make sure you don't have any of those people that suck your energy, make you feel like you can't achieve anything so you can actually – progress in life because they're going to stay the same no matter what. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, that's the, you know, is it Jim Rome who said we're the average of the five people we spend yeah. most of our time with? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Jim, Jim Rome said it. Um, and there's so much truth to that. Upgrade your circle. Who's in your five right now? I bet this is a great experiment for everyone. So write down the names of your, the five people that you spend most of your time with. Just do, just do it. Just real quick. Write it down. I'm going to give you five seconds. One, one second to name. Who are the five people you spend most of your time with? Just write first names. Okay. Now, just write, just write down quick notes because you're going to do this later. How much does each of them make a year? Just approximate if you don't know based on their, you know, what you think they're doing with their business or their occupation. Um, and then rate their fitness on a one to 10, 10 being super fit. One being an absolute slug and probably quite a bit overweight. Um, and then uh, write down their level of education. And then write down on a one to ten their level of happiness, your, your perception of it at least, which probably won't be completely accurate, but it's close, right? Then uh, draw an average of that, add them up, divide by the number, get an average for each of those things. And then I'd be willing to bet you're within 20% of that average. <laughs> yeah. Now, and then this is just true. I, I, I bet you, I don't know who you are, but statistically, I'm going to be right. So there are some exceptions, of course, uh, but you're going to be pretty damn close to, to all that. So what does that mean? If, if the people are unhappy, if they're fat, if they're not well-educated, if they don't value experiences, if they don't want to you know, travel and you do, or maybe they, they hate relationships, but you want to find love. And, you know, like, man, you need to upgrade your five. You can fire people from your circle. It's okay. You have the right and the responsibility to do so. It's okay. That's a great exercise. Cause the moment you start writing things down, you have this visual and you're like, Oh my God, yeah. this is, this is worse than I thought. <laughs> it's just like, if you have a goal of something or you just like throw it out there as, Oh my, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. But if you don't actually like write it down and see it, it's, it's completely different than just hoping for the best day to day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you need to custom design your life. You don't just meander down the stream, you know, get a paddle an oar, 
a rudder, a sail, a motor, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and forge your own path rather than meandering. You know, I, I think a lot of people just go, well, that's just way that life has dealt the cards. BS, go to Amazon and buy five new decks of cards. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't buy that. I just, I just think that is a cop out. I, 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 I'm just, you know, I, I don't have, I, I, I'm incredibly intolerant of the thought that I can't make my situation better. Yeah. It's just nonsense. And, and the only thing that keeps you from where you are to your goal is the story you keep telling yourself. What is your story? Is your story holding you back? Is your story say that you're a victim? Does your story say, yeah, but I'm the fat kid, but you're not anymore, but you keep going back to that because that's what you believe. Your story determines your reality and your future. Your story determines that new residual outcome. So if you don't like your story, change your damn story. I mean, it's really that simple. And if you, and if you need help doing that, then do personal development training, read empowering books, be around better people, join a mastermind, get a coach and a mentor and, you know, um, learn to meditate and exercise with more passion. You know, like it's not difficult. It's not difficult, but woe is me and I can't change stuff. You're going to be, um, a, a blubbering fat, miserable, unfulfilled, possibly broke person. So I'm not saying I, I, I don't, I'm just, I'm saying that's what, that what can happen. I don't, I don't know any one in particular, so I'm not pointing one out. So don't get, don't get mad. <laughs> just being honest. You, if you don't change it, that can be the result. Or you're just like in mediocrity. You live in, in, a, in like a mediocre land. And what does that give you? Does that make you totally fulfilled being average? I mean, it, it's, it sounds harsh. Bear with me. It sounds harsh. But who do you remember or aspire to or admire who's average? You're like, man, that Susie, she, she sure is average. <laughs> or Bob or whoever, right? Yeah. A- average looking, average build, average intelligence. Her, her, she keeps her car about average clean. Her tire pressure is about, about average. <laughs> they, no one remembers average. They are the forgotten ones. Be prolific. And that happens with your personal, professional, financial, uh, spiritual, relational aspects of your life. But it all comes down to a choice. You know, you just do it. You, you, you create the life you want or life's going to just happen and you're going to be a passenger. So that just you, doesn't sound very inspiring to me. <laughs> do you think uh, people are lazy or is it just something else? Uh, I think some people are lazy, but I, I think they just haven't found their why. There's a great book by Simon Sinek, mm-hmm. and I don't know how to spell it, so just Google it. Simon Sinek, and there's a great TED talk he did as well. Yeah. Uh, it's called Start with Why, because most people don't have the how. And almost everything I've done in my life, I didn't know the how when I started. I have no idea. Um, but if you have a why and the why is strong enough, like I'm going to change the world, I'm going to help homeless children, I'm going to help war veterans, I'm going to get people off the street, I'm going to help the drug addicted and the, the neglected, and you feel passionate about that and you make a big difference in your mind, that's a big enough why. And you will figure out how your brain's really good about that, but you first have to come up with the why. 
Yeah, he did a really good analogy of like how the brain works and how Apple markets to people and that's why people want to buy Apple products and they don't even like there's so many other companies that do exactly what Apple does but for some reason people want to buy Apple. Well, the differ- I, I I can tell you the difference. That um other people are customers but with Apple they're fans. Yeah. That's the difference. And also the other uh the other one the other companies that are in that market have uh, their products, but the other ones are lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And also a lot of people determine, you know, like a PC products as a tool uh, or, or a, a machine, but they think of it as a tool when it's a, a Mac or they think about more in, uh, industrial uh, use for a PC, which may be less sexy, but it's more artistic with a Mac. Yeah, it may or may not be true, but it's the perception and also the fan base. But you can see how all this comes together. All these things we're talking about all come full circle. If you you connect all the esoteric things that we've spoken about in the last 50 minutes or so, you'll see that it all actually is interconnected. A lot of the, the methodologies, the philosophies, the ideologies are all interconnected. But you, like the whole idea of why is so good because when I get somebody new coming in and they're like, I want to lose 10 pounds. I'm like, okay, well, why? Well, because I want to look like I did back in whatever year. I'm like, okay, well, why do you want to look like you did back then? It's like, well, that's how I, I felt better at that weight. And you mm-hmm. kind of keep peeling layers and layers until you figure out why they actually want to lose 10 pounds. And they almost kind of realize like, oh, that's why. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny too is like they don't – if you think about losing something, have you ever lost your car keys? Yeah. Did you want them back? You yes. wanted them back, right? Yeah. So why do you want to lose anything? It's not it's not the right phrasing. You you want to release it. You want to let it go. You can surrender it. But if you lose it, most people when they lose something, they want it back. And so subconsciously you may be trying to get it back. Um the other <laughs> that, sounds, that's, a, that's that's a that's a good analogy though. I like that. Well, and the other thing is, too, people say, well, I want to lose 10 pounds because what happens is they're thinking about when they perceive themselves to be in their heyday. Yeah. Whether it's true or not. But let's just say that their heyday, and it was a lady and she weighed 120. I don't know, I'm just making it up. Let's just say she weighed 120 in her heyday. She says, I got to get to 120. And, and, and maybe you show her a picture of someone who's exceptionally fit. Um, at, at, you know, maybe approximately her age. Um, and you, and she goes, that's the body I want. You say, well, what if she weighs 200 pounds, but she looks like that? Yeah. And, and I'm I'm not talking muscle density, obviously weighs more than fat, but that's not even the point. The point is that the target of the weight is incorrect. It's how she looks, how she feels, how she feels inside, and also probably the perception of others of her at a particular weight. But it's the number doesn't matter. Think about this with you know if you go back to like the Levi jeans days, and they still have it, but there's a lot of new brands out. But you know like guys are the only ones with the Levi's that put our size on the outside on the patch. You remember that? Oh yeah. yeah. Like we're the only ones dumb enough to do that. The (laughs) the ladies were smart. They didn't, they didn't do that. But can you imagine if like you go to a party, if this, this lady uh, that wants to weigh 120, they, uh, they go to a party 
And someone goes, man, Susie, you look incredible. Uh, do they ever say, man, Susie, how much do you weigh? Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever going to ask that. It doesn't matter. It literally never matters. It doesn't matter at all. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I, what, what is it that, and, and you, you can correct me, it depends on hydration level and age and things like that, but doesn't muscle weigh like 2.5 or times what fat weighs per, you know, for the same amount of space? I, I forget exactly what it is, but it it's considerably right. more. Yeah, you, it's considerably more. So, you know, you can take up less space and weigh more because you have more density. That's why you're firm. And that's good. And that's okay. So the number on the scale is only one point of reference. And ultimately, it's the one that probably matters least. Yeah, that's why I actually stopped weighing women in, especially huh? for that. And I've just been doing measurements because they step on that scale. And if that like number went up by one, but they're down two dress sizes, they still mm -hmm. freak out. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, so we're almost at an hour. So wow, I know we <laughs> we just kept going. It was awesome. But uh, for the last question, where can people find you online? Uh, do you have any projects coming up? Uh, speaking engagements, things like that. I, I I have a lot of stuff coming up. <laughs> uh, the the best thing to do is go to my personal website, which is my name, johnspencerellis.com. John Spencer Ellis. Dot com And just, you know, look around there. I have a bunch of free information. A lot of the work I do is to help health, fitness, wellness, nutrition, coaching, and personal development professionals develop their career. Uh, but I also work with uh, individuals as well. So it just depends what you're interested in, in doing. And I, I'm happy to help you however I can. And, and if I'm unable to, I can certainly refer you to my awesome uh, list of superstars. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So I want to thank you so much for your time. This was great. You're welcome. Okay, so that's going to wrap up episode 25 with Dr. John Spencer Ellis. Hopefully you guys got something out of it. He was amazing. He jumped all over the map on this episode, which was great, and he covered a lot of stuff. So if you need a little bit more information, make sure you go on to his website and check him out. Now, Last episode, I believe, or the episode before that, I mentioned about a Patreon page. It's almost ready. Now, you might be wondering what you're going to get if you become a Patreon supporter. So there's a few levels, and you know, the higher level you are, the more you get. So I kind of put down onto the page on the right-hand side, which you will see when I send you guys the link. But um, so for a dollar a month... As a Patreon, what you're going to get is exclusive content every week. So no one else can see it but you if you become a Patreon supporter. So it can be, you know, more workouts, uh, articles that I write that no one else is going to see unless they're paying a dollar a month. Um, you'll also get a training program, and that gives you also um, a little shout-out on the show, things like that. And then the next level is five bucks, and again, you get everything in that first um, little level, along with um, a recipe book that I'm putting together as we speak, because over the years of collecting recipes and doing meal prep, I've compiled like probably close to 100 recipes that are perfect for 
you know, getting lean, getting healthy. And then the next one is um, for 10 bucks, you get everything in that first two. And uh, along with that, you're able to download each podcast so you can actually have it on your computer, wherever you go. Now, also what I'm going to be offering in this one is you're going to have the episodes three to four weeks before everybody else. So if you didn't know, all my interviews, I actually book them far in advance. So I honestly probably interviewed John probably yeah three weeks ago and finally putting it up right now. So as a Patreon supporter, if you... Um, support me with $10, you'll actually get um, the episodes earlier than everybody else. Then the last um, kind of level to unlock is $20, and you get everything that I just said right now in all the previous levels, along with the official Cut the Shit Get Fit t-shirt that I've posted on Instagram and Facebook a couple times. So then you can support me all the way. I'm going to use all this money to improve the show by sound, by better recording equipment, by, you know, investing in a better website and different little things like that. And also, um, giving portions of each episode that I make, uh, charity so I can help the local charities in my community. Uh, one being LAPS, which is a animal rescue shelter that I completely believe in and, my, I myself have a rescue dog, so I would love to give back to that. So hopefully you guys are excited about that, and I will let you all know uh, probably in the new year where to go to find all that stuff. Now, also follow me on Instagram because I'm also on there as Raf Matuszewski, all one word. And same thing for my Twitter, Raf Matuszewski, all one word, no fancy letters or special 
symbols or anything like that. So add me on there, and uh, until next time, we'll see you guys again.